Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We work very, very hard to see any person, and especially in my case, to see any Jewish person be saved from the lake of fire. But we also realize that for the Jewish people, we have not yet reached the point of what the Bible calls afterward, afterward for the Jewish nation. See, it says in Hosea 3, Hosea 3, 4, it says in Hosea 3, 4, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without a teraphim, afterward, that's the word, afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So we realize that today, God has gone to his place and he's waiting, as he said in Hosea 5.15, Hosea 5.15, God says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they shall seek me early. And as Clinton said, he knew the dearth was coming, so they're gonna know that affliction. And we realize the time is not yet. The time is not yet for the Jewish people, but it's coming when the Jewish people will say the words in Hosea 6, Hosea 6, 1, Hosea 6, 1, which says, these are the words of the Jewish people. When they'll say, come, let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn, he will heal us. He has smitten, he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain. All right, what a day for that. As the latter and the former rain unto the earth. So that was the second reason, or you could say as Clinton said, the third reason, the the reason that he said was that he was preparing for the safety of his family by gathering up enough grain for them. But there's the second reason that Joseph did not go back home. He was not led to go back home. He was not led. Okay, now, Joseph might have been afraid for his family. He might have said to himself, you know, they're gonna starve to death while I'm out here gathering, I mean, after the, the grain has been gathered and the years of starvation have started. I mean, that fear for that Joseph might have had for his family might have driven Joseph to go visit his family so they would not be killed by the coming years of starvation. 
But Joseph was not worried about his family. He was not worried about his family being killed by the coming years of starvation. Why was not Joseph worried about his family being killed, his brothers being killed by the coming years of starvation? What assurance did Joseph have that none of his family would die? The dreams, the dreams. And what specifically in the dream was there? They bowed down. How many stars were gonna bow down? 11, 11 stars were gonna bow down. That's it from Genesis 37, nine. Genesis 37, nine, it says that he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more and behold the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. Those 11 stars were his 11 brothers. And so Joseph knew from his dream that all of his brothers were gonna come and bow down to him. And since that had not happened yet, he knew they weren't gonna die until they had bowed down to him. So Joseph had this assurance from his dream that his family would be kept safe even during the coming years of famine, and he didn't need to go home to visit this family. So that's, a, that's another reason he did not return home. So these reasons, take Clinton's four reasons that he did not go to visit his family when he became a free man, and he could have. The work was too urgent for him to take time off He was actually taking care of their safety by gathering up all the grain. He was not led by God to visit the home. He had assurance from his dreams that they would not die. So now the the years of plenty are in full swing in verse 47, verse 47, and in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. That's a wonderful, there's several wonderful parts about that little statement there. But describing the earth as bringing forth, as bringing forth. You know, when it says the earth brought forth, it's like you can see this giant hand coming out of the earth and saying here, you know, delivering food to man. You know, one of the prayers, Hebrew prayers, the Jewish prayers, to bless God is to say, is after you have the first part, which is, you know, blessed art thou, O Lord. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God. God of the universe. Then it says, Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Which means, bless God, for bringing bread out of the earth. That's what that phrase means. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. It means for bringing, bringing bread out of the earth. I mean, that's something you, I mean, that's something we never get over. I mean, it's amazing to look at dirt. <laughs> dirt. And it brings forth food to us. It brings, God makes bread to come out of dirt. <laughs> That's a, anyway, this is captured for us when we see this in uh, verse 47. And in the seven plenty of the earth brought forth by handfuls. Now, the description by handfuls reminds us of how, of how important it is for us to open our hand and give because God's watching us. God's watching us and he promises he's gonna pour out a blessing to us in response if we give to others. And that's what he says in Luke 6.38, Luke 6.38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. (laughs) That's quite a scene. Shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all it shall be measured unto you. Again, So when God blessed Isaac when he was in the land of the Philistines, 
in this, I'm talking about Isaac now, when God blessed Isaac when he was in the land of the Philistines, we read in Genesis 26, 12, Genesis 26, 12, Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. It's really hard to imagine something like that, a hundredfold. Remember last time we were talking about if you had an orange grove and it made maybe 1,500, which is pretty good, oranges in a year, a hundredfold means you would have 150,000 oranges. What would you do with all those oranges? <laughs> you make a lot of orange juice, right? Sell it to everybody. And that reminds us of the miracle, the miracle of the word of God and what it can do into a person who opens their heart and makes their heart what's called the good ground. And what it says in that parable of the sower and the seed in Matthew 13, 23, Matthew 13, 23, it's talking about that when it says, but he that received good seed, he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, understandeth it, which also bringeth forth fruit and, and uh, beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold some 60, some 30. Now we read what Joseph did during these years of great harvest in verse 48. In verse 48, where it says, he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. So in this verse, we're told how Joseph was thinking about the challenge of the distribution of the food when it says what he did, he laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city laid he up in the same. What this is showing us here about Joseph is that he carefully mapped out where all the people were, and he strategically placed the food that could be distributed so he could distribute the food to the people. Now, when, when I see Joseph mapping out all the needs that where the people are and then placing the food resources according to the need where the people are, it reminds me of what we do in our summer blitz planning. And there's a famine right now. There's a famine among the Jewish people. It's not a famine of bread, but it's a famine that's described to us in Amos 8.11. Amos 8.11 describes to us this famine. A famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. The Jewish people today do not have a famine of bread. They do not have a thirst for water, but the Jewish people have a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And we're like Joseph during the years of famine, only it's a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And just like Joseph planned in verse 48 to have food strategically placed where the people were, in our summer blitz planning, we strategically place the students and the number of students according to the number of the Jewish people in the area that, that we send them. So during these 12 weeks, which are starting tomorrow, during these 12 weeks of the summer blitz 2017, they will distribute the word of God to the Jewish people during this Amos 8.11 time, this Amos 8.11 time of a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And when you look at the prayer map of the Summer Blitz, Gene, did you bring the prayer maps this morning? There they are. <laughs> there they are. Okay, so you, you can get one. When you look at the prayer map for the Summer Blitz for this summer, you'll see all the cities throughout the U.S. and in Canada and in Buenos Aires and in Israel. And just when you see that, 
Just think of this verse 48, which describes how Joseph strategically placed the food according to where the people were. Now, we see how much the harvest was in verse 49. It's emphasized to us. It says, Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, so it was without number. Now, it's really hard for us to imagine this. I mean, just it's hard to imagine just how much food was harvested during this time. But words like as the sand of the sea and very much give us an idea that it was just tremendous, just tremendous. I mean, this little phrase in verse 49, verse 49, until he left numbering, that tells us something. He left numbering. He abandoned numbering. I mean, he had built these huge, Joseph had built these huge storehouses and he devised this extensive accounting system to keep an accurate inventory records of all the food that was being harvested. But the harvest was so great that the system broke down. (laughs) I mean, either the people ran out of paper, (laughs) more than likely it was that there wasn't enough labor to do the accounting because there wasn't enough labor of storing up the produce and the job of storing the job of doing the accounting was hurting the job of doing the produce and so Joseph had to do some quick midstream reorganization and take the people who were doing the accounting and put them into the work of doing the stockpiling and just abandon forget about the record keeping we're in danger of this food spoiling here if you don't get this put away So this is what it means in verse 49 when it says he left numbering. Joseph abandoned the job of record keeping in order to get the job of stockpiling done. And this shows us what a good manager Joseph is because Joseph was able, he was a manager who was able to make decisions when he was faced with the unexpected. That's a very valuable trait in a manager that's able to assess a problem and make an on-the-spot decision. A plan is just a plan. And some people, though, they're so married to their plans, they can't see their way out to change course in midstream when the unexpected happens, but Joseph could. And Joseph was able to make these changes to meet the needs. Now, in the middle of all this plenty, something happens in Joseph's house, which is given to us in verse 50. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. That's an important phrase. Before the years of famine came. Which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. Now, there's a little point that's really important in verse 50 when the two sons of Joseph were born, as it says there, before the years of famine came. That little detail that they had those two sons before the years of famine, it's an important detail. The human body is amazing. It's just amazing in infertility in the sense that when there's an abundance and there's no stress of famine, fertility rises. But you never hear of pregnancies in the concentration camps. You never hear of pregnancies in the concentration camp because the body becomes infertile during the times of stress. And when women stress their body like by trying to look like Twiggy, <laughs> there's problems with fertility. So during this great production of food, Joseph and his wife produced two sons. And it's interesting that Joseph's wife is described here for the second time as Azanath, 
the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. Now, we already know that five verses earlier, it already said that about her. It already said that it already identified her as Azanath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. You know, Azanath, the gift from the god of Neth, and Potiphera, referring to Ra, the sun god there, the priest of the sun god. So the fact that Joseph's wife bore him his two sons from the wife who was a daughter of an idolatrous priest, it's not flattering. You know, it, it, it's not something you really want to emphasize. Can we forget that part, you know? I mean, these two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, they will become virtually incorporated into the tribes of Israel. So why would you want to emphasize their mother? Why would you want to emphasize in the Bible that their mother was the daughter of an idolatrous priest and that her name actually means a, a gift from a false god, Neth? I mean, why not just mention that once if you have to, you know? And then, okay, it's finished. Why do you have to, to emphasize it by repetition? Why do you have to say it twice? I mean, it, it's not like the Bible was written and then it was discovered like, oh no, <laughs> the fact that Joseph's wife is the daughter of this idolatrous priest was already mentioned. We shouldn't be mentioning that again, especially five verses later. The Bible makes no mistakes. It was intentional and it's with a great purpose. And the purpose is to show the grace of God. It's to show the grace of God no one, so that no one ever despairs because of their horrible background, which she did have. When the idolatrous family of Joseph's wife is stated twice, it's showing us the truth of 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. What's important is not where we were before we came to the Lord. What's important is the washing and sanctifying and justifying by the Lord Jesus that washes from all sexual sins, fornication, homosexuality. They're all washed away as all other sins are. And the point is not the depth of our past sins. The point is the power that's in the blood of the Lord Jesus to cleanse. Okay, now we read that his first son was born in verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. So now, Joseph wants to make a strong statement. And so he names his son Manasseh, which means forgetting. That's kind of hard for the little guy, don't you think? <laughs> you know, son, what's your name? My name is forgetting. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll never ask you to remember anything then. <laughs> You're always forgetting. <laughs> but clearly, the name was designed by Joseph so that they would draw out this question. Why, are, why in the world would, are you named forgetting? You know, <laughs> What's your name? Amnesia. <laughs> why are you named amnesia? Okay, so this is what Joseph wanted to have happen. And so that the answer 
he's giving in verse 51, and the idea was that his son would be able to take verse 51 and say, oh, my dad named me forgetting because he had a really hard life, both in his own home that he grew up in and in Egypt where he was sold as a slave and became a prisoner. And my dad wants the whole world to know that God gave him the ability to forget. The ability to forget his past and to look forward to the future. That's my other brother. Where is he? I can't find him right now, but he's around here somewhere. And he's the one that looks forward to the future. His name is Fruitful. So that's why he named me Forgetting. My dad wants you and everyone to know that no matter how bad your history is, that God's able to make you forget it by looking forward to what God has planned for you. That's what my dad wanted. That's why he named me that way. And that's the same concept that Paul had, and he expressed in Philippians 3.13, Philippians 3.13, when he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul is saying, this one thing I do, Manasseh, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward. Now, notice how Joseph said in verse 51, God hath made me to forget. The ability to forget the sins of the past or how we've been mistreated and offended and abused and hurt is not an ability that we have. We don't have that ability. But he said God gave him that ability. God has made me to forget. So God will make us able to forget And the question is, how does God do that? How does God make us able to forget? And this is where Paul's statement is so important when he says in that next verse of Philippians 3.14, Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. See, by pressing toward the Lord Jesus Christ, God makes us forget the past. And this is what Moses taught Aaron to pray for the Jewish people in Numbers 6.25. Number 625, the Lord make his face to shine upon thee. And when the face of the Lord Jesus Christ is shining on us, then we're facing the light. And as Clint has said, when you face the light, you can't see your own shadow. And one part of our shadow is our past. It's our past. And when we face the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't see the shadow of our past. And in that way, God makes us Manasseh. God makes us to forget our past. Now, this is so beautifully brought to us in the image of the long-distance runner, the image of the long-distance runner. It's an illustration, an illustration of the believer and the life of the believer, what it says in Hebrews 12.1, Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, run with patience, run with patience. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.